0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Helm podcast, where we speak with legal tech leaders to bring you actionable insights for your firm. Today, our host, Bim Dave, speaks with our very own Melinda Ward, Helm 360's Director of Consulting Solutions and Managed Services. In this episode, you'll learn what managed services can and can't do for your firm, how they can supplement your existing IT department, and how to prepare for them should you decide you need them. And now, on to the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Legal Helm podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by our very own Melinda Ward, who heads up our professional services and managed services teams here at Helm 360. So let's dive straight into it, Melinda. Maybe we could start with a little introduction of yourself and a little bit of your background, please.
1: Hi, Bim. I'm happy to be here. My name's Melinda Ward, and I'm the Director of Consulting Solutions and Managed Services for Helm 360. I joined Helm, bringing with me over 25 years of experience in consulting, and particularly in the legal tech industry. I've got a background working and managing implementation teams for Thomson Reuters Elite suite of products, as well as the Intap suite of products for the legal industry. So my speciality includes consulting with law firms around change in technology, as well as change in business process. So it's really holistic approach to ensure that firms are getting the maximum benefits from their technology investments. I also have a lot of experience in managing teams, and I'm really looking forward to building the teams within the Helm organization and providing superior service to all of our clients.
0: Thank you, Melinda. That's amazing. And for those that don't know, Melinda and I go way back and actually spent quite a bit of time working side by side at Thomson Reuters when I was there for 16 years too. So it's great to have you on board at Helm 360. So one of your focus areas here is obviously managed services and helping law firms really extend what they do from a service delivery perspective for their internal systems, particularly around the 3E portfolio. Can you help us understand what managed services is all about and why a law firm might be interested in them?
1: Well, one of the big challenges that law firms face when they implement new practice management systems is there are always natural constraints on time, money, and also just resources, people. So a lot of times, some of the really big benefits that they could have become de-scoped or delayed. One of the things that managed services can do is to step in and not let those wish for phase two things lie in a list somewhere never become reality, they let firms leverage our skills, our talent, and our experience to find an economical way of implementing those changes and really getting the most out of their systems. Another thing that we provide is support for customizations within their practice management systems. Because a lot of times the original software vendor will support their own software, but they will not support the customizations. And that leaves firms sometimes a little bit at a loss if they do not have an in-house team to do that work themselves. So we can step in and bring our expertise to the table and provide that support to the customizations that they have and also add additional customizations should they be required.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. So most of the firms that we work with, Melinda, will already have an in-house IT team to some degree, right? Some will have small teams, some will have large teams. What I'd really be interested to understand is how is managed services and the managed services team that you kind of represent and bring to the legal market different from what an in-house IT team would typically do. And does a law firm kind of considering their options need both? How does that synergy really work?
1: I believe in-house IT teams at law firms are often tasked with being involved with managing many different disparate products. So that not only the practice management system, but the Word processing and whether it's Microsoft Office or Google Docs or whatever other package they're using, the document management system, any sort of form and workflow processing, the HR system, the client relationship management system, a huge number of systems. The problem is an IT team, even if you have 10 or 20 people, you're going to have database administrators, you're going to have security experts, you're going to have people who can do a bit of programming, but you're not going to have people who have that deep Multi year experience with one product. They're more generalist because they have to be. We can provide that specialist support and work with the IT teams of firms to fill in their gaps, both in knowledge and in expertise. We can provide a scaled support. Some firms need a lot of extra help and some need help just with the more complicated and really specialized tasks. We're flexible on that and we can help provide that support that's needed on a case by case basis.
0: That's an excellent point. I think I've heard this kind of message time and time again that IT teams already are very busy and stretched with the amount of work that they have to do, particularly with the hybrid model that they have to support now, which is pretty time intensive in terms of being able to make sure that the business can run as normal. And then when you throw in an expert product like Thompson Reuters Elite 3 platform that requires a significant amount of knowledge to be able to manage and maintain and extend, like you say, that can make a real difference as to how much is on somebody's plate versus not. If I'm a law firm looking to really leverage Average a firm like Helm 360 to extend what we do. So not necessarily replace the functions of what IT does, but really give them the speciality skill sets they need to be successful. What kind of things should I look for in a managed services provider? Well,
1: I would say key aspects to look for are definitely industry experience, because there are a lot of people offering IT services Not so many people are offering services in the products that the firms might have. So whether it be Elite 3E or Intap, they should really be looking for somebody who has that depth of experience in those particular products and with interfaces to those products as well, if that's the nature of the work that needs doing. And knowledge of the industry is also helpful to have in-house because then the team that's supporting them can know what questions to ask. And not just take requirements that are given at face value and potentially build an incomplete or incorrect solution. Because I find a lot of times firms know, for example, for a report, they have an idea of what they want, they can sketch it out, but they might miss something because they don't know what they don't know. We can provide that consultative experience to look at the requirements and make suggestions and ask the detailed questions and not just build what's been originally requested. That value add means that what you get is much more useful to the firm and much more comprehensive and really provides value for money.
0: Lovely. Thank you. How have managed services changed in the post-COVID landscape? Obviously, there's been a lot of additional pressure on IT teams, which means that there's been a rise in the need for managed services. But I'm just interested to hear from you in terms of have you seen any changes post-COVID that impact managed service delivery or any trends that you're seeing from that perspective?
1: Post-COVID, a lot of firms are going in two different directions, which are a little bit conflicting in my view. One direction is to reduce what we would call back office staff as much as possible and become as cost effective and efficient as possible. And while that's an admirable goal, sometimes those cuts are going a little bit far. On the other side of the coin, the need for effective system support and potentially automation support as well is becoming greater because workforces are working more remotely. They're trying to do more with less across the firm. And if your systems are basically held together with duct tape and bubble gum, that's not going to be a sustainable mode for the future. So this is where a managed services model can come in because that takes the extra work that needs to be done without requiring full-time headcount for a firm. So they can often justify that spend more easily in the budget. It's really an ideal model to say, look, keep your core in-house staff, which you need to keep things ticking over. But for specialist work where you don't necessarily need full-time equivalent headcount, come to a managed services model and we can scale up and scale back easily and dynamically to match the firm's needs
0: hey john how do i find out what we've invoiced my client how can i view my outstanding whip how do i submit
1: my expenses again do we have monday
0: it's exciting to have fresh faces at your law firm but onboarding them takes a lot of time and a lot of energy when everyone is remote you're busy enough as it is Helm360 has the solution, just ask Termi. Helm360's next level chatbot solution for knowledge management. Termi can answer many of your new hires questions for you, without distracting you or anyone else at the firm. This means fewer frantic emails, fewer help desk tickets, more time and more focused productivity for everyone at the firm. Working with Termi, you can have those eager new employees up to speed in a snap they may never need to ask you a question again. Check out helm360.com forward slash Termi to see Termi in action and find out how it can make onboarding new hires as easy as sending an email. If I am interested in signing up as a managed services customer, can you give us a little feel for what that entails? So, you know, if I sign tomorrow, how do you get to understand my system and really understand some of the dynamics of the products I might have implemented in terms of how things are uh, talking to each other? What is Helm360's approach to making sure that you can provide that effective service delivery?
1: Well, our initial scoping that we do involves having a look at the number of customizations that a firm has in place, the products that they have in place, and what their vision is for those products. So if the firm has fairly new implementation, they're not going to need upgrade services straight away, for example, but they may have some customizations that need doing. So we can talk about that, talk about priorities and come up with a custom solution and budget for what it might take to get those tasks done. For a firm that has a system that's been in place for a long time, or is maybe looking at retiring a system that's basically end of life and migrating to a new system, We can offer a different level of support. We can offer things like data analysis and cleansing to ensure that all of those duplicate data records and that those things that'll just make a migration difficult can be cleansed in advance. We can look at providing support for the implementation, including QA teams, test scripts, custom documentation, support for data extraction, data conversion. A lot of the things where when firms are looking to do an implementation, they sometimes get slowed down because the vendor might not have resources available as quickly as the firm might like. So we can kind of backfill in some of those areas and provide those support services and then transition post-go live to more of the ongoing support model for care and feeding. So it's really every deal that we write with every client is different because every client has different needs. Do they just want support for what they have now? Or do they want to change and expand and develop new customizations? Do they want help with performance issues? Do they want help with upgrade issues? Do they want help with QA and testing exercises? There's really a huge list of services we can offer, and all of those discussions happen up front, but of course, that can be scaled over time as well as the firm's needs change.
0: That's excellent. So it really can be tailored to what the firm really needs, which is fantastic to hear. Great. Moving on, the legal technology space has evolved and is evolving rapidly, right? So we're seeing new products being brought to market, lots of exciting things happening. What do you feel are some of the most exciting opportunities within legal technology today?
1: I think that there's a couple of angles that I find really interesting right now. I find the use of more cloud-based solutions is quite interesting. Initially, in this legal space, there was a lot of resistance to cloud-based solutions. Even five years ago, people were really hesitant about it and concerned about the security impacts and where data is held and in what country the data is held. Those are still factors, but a lot of those questions have been answered. So now firms can viably look at having more hosted solutions or moving some of their own infrastructure into the cloud. So that's one area where I think firms can get a lot of scalability and benefit from technology. The other area that I find really fascinating, and I'm excited to see what comes of it, is in AI, automated intelligence. So this is something that's been buzzword bingoed to death and has been really hyped. But beyond the hype, there's some actual benefits to it. And some of these benefits, like being able to quickly access information, being able to save time and therefore save money for fee earners, for example, who are looking for information. You know, if they're on the phone with a client and the client asks, can you tell me how many cases your firm has done in mining in Canada, for example, it used to be that the lawyer would have to say, I'll check on that and I'll get back to you. And then they would have to send a request maybe to the billing team or the marketing team and gather the information and get back to the client. But with some of the AI solutions that are out now, you know, especially Termi from, from Helm ourselves, they can just, while they're on the phone, say, just a second, type in the question, get the answer back and carry on the conversation with the client. So that empowers the firm and the partners and the fee earners to be able to have that information directly, help the clients directly and win more deals as a result.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I think it's very interesting what's happening in the AI space, to be honest with you, because I think it has gone from, let's just throw this buzzword out there to actually having tangible solutions that are leveraging AI to be able to do what they need to do to really add value, improve productivity. And that example you just gave is not just saving a lawyer's time, but it's also being able to allow them to have a better service delivery to their customer. And I think that's huge in itself. And there's some really exciting things happening with regard to deep learning models, Transformers in particular, not the old Transformers movie, but Transformers that are deep learning models that really allow you to kind of see what the future of AI solutions will look like. Like, there's a very interesting company out there called OpenAI that is doing some wonderful things with progressing deep learning models. So one of the things that they recently built was DALI2, which is basically a system that you can kind of type in natural language, a description of something, and it will produce an artistic image of whatever you've written. And it's pretty interesting to see how capable it is to be able to do that. And although that's kind of like a off the wall example, like the level of understanding that you can get from AI systems today is pretty interesting. and how that applies to the legal world in future will be very very interesting to see how that evolves so appreciate your input on that so melinda what steps can a law firm take to prepare for managed services
1: well in advance of having our scoping discussions the best thing to do is to really just start with documentation gather up all of your documents from any previous system implementations that you've had gather up any lists of items that have been postponed and deferred or tagged as phase two items. Another big thing that doesn't happen anywhere near often enough is talking to the end users. Ask them, what are the things in your current process that are taking the most time or giving you the most trouble? Make a list of those things. You can't make any promises, but that will be grounds for us to discuss the possible, to try to find effective solutions for the firm to streamline processes and procedures, which maybe had an origin back in a workaround for an old technology problem from years ago that's since been resolved. It's amazing how many times I see firms carrying processes forward from 10, 15 years ago. And there are so many inefficiencies, but they just don't realize that this can be changed and, and improved. So Get that list from the people who are doing the job every day, and then let us have that discussion with you about what we might be able to do to help.
0: What fantastic advice. I think it's interesting because what tends to happen is you kind of get firms that implement a product like 3E and they spend obviously a lot of time and effort and energy getting it to a point where it's right enough for them to go live and use the product. And that's a significant investment that's been made. And what we really want to do post-go live is really maximize that investment, right? And The return on investment, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that that happens in those small incremental changes that happen after going live, because you've had the opportunity to then settle into the system, your users know how the system works and what it's capable of doing. And then that's really a really good opportunity to do exactly what you say is like document what your wish list is, what gaps do you see when now you're up and running and operational and, and allow that change to happen incrementally. So that's great. Great to hear. Thanks for that advice.
1: I've always had the view that firms should revisit their systems at least once a year, especially the first year after go live, and assess what is working well and what could be improved because there's always something that can be improved. And especially if you've gone live with what we often call the minimum viable product, because everybody's got implementation fatigue, it needs to get done. So you get the implementation over the line, you get it in place. And those things that you really wanted to do, the the nice to haves, the things that where you'd really see the benefit of the new system often get delayed, but don't delay too long. Otherwise, those things will be forgotten. And also people's enchantment with the system and engagement with the system will drop. So as long as firms and users are seeing continuous improvement in a systematic fashion, then they will remain engaged with the system, positive about the system and be advocates.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Now, I have a, a question regarding some of the travel that you've done. So you've you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've, you've kind of traveled the world, visiting various clients in different countries, continents all over the world. Tell me what was your most interesting experience in your travels over the years?
1: Oh my, there have been so many. Yeah. I've been on a plane that's caught fire. I've been in I've been locked in an office building in Poland where I didn't speak Polish and nobody understood that I really just needed to get out of the building. <laughs> but one of the funny ones was some years ago I was in Moscow for a work trip, and I was looking for somewhere to eat in the evening. And in Moscow about 10, 12 years ago, there were not a lot of non-Russian-only language restaurants, which is normal. I mean, that's fine. I'm not conversant in Russian, though. So I happened to walk past a restaurant, looked like a big building, and it had menus in the front of the building in all different languages. And I thought, oh, great, here's a place where it'll be easy for me to figure out what I want to eat and should be be a reasonable place to go. Looks like a business person's restaurant. So I go in and I sit down. The place is fairly empty because maybe a little bit early for their dinner scene, I was thinking. And then I noticed a, per- a lot of men coming in, all in business suits, clearly coming from offices, and they start sitting down at tables, but they're keeping an empty chair between them. I thought that's a bit interesting. I guess colleagues are joining them or something. So just before my meal comes, music starts, and this parade of beautiful, very scantily clad Amazons walks in, and they start filling in the empty seats. And then a dance show starts on the stage. And then I realized that somehow I'd stumbled. Into what was a strip club. And uh, I very quickly paid my bill and left. (laughs) And the next day I mentioned to the client where I was working, they of course asked, Oh, how was your evening? Did you find somewhere for dinner? I said, Well, it was interesting. I went to this place and I gave the name of the place and they just started laughing. I'm like, Why would you go there? I said, Because you didn't tell me not to. So, yeah, lots of things can happen when you're traveling in a country where you're not fluent in the language.
0: Indeed. What a fantastic story. Great, great. Well, great for you to share that with us. Thank you. So if you just kind of wrapping things up a little bit and just kind of interested to, uh, to learn a little bit more about you, Melinda. So if you had the opportunity to borrow Doctor Who's Ooh. time machine, and go back to Melinda when she was 18 yes. years old, what career advice would you give her?
1: You know, that's tricky because actually things have, in a weird way, sort of worked out the way they should work out. I would say maybe some career advice that I might have given myself would have been, don't wait so long for things to happen. Take more proactive action. You know, especially in younger years, it's it's easy when you don't know your boundaries and you don't know how much initiative you can and should take. You know, so it's easy to kind of hang back a bit. And It all worked out okay in the end, but I think I might have made faster progress had I demonstrated more the initiatives that I had in my head at the time.
0: Wonderful. And just one final wrap-up question. We have lots of different people that listen to us on our podcast which we are very grateful for. For those that might be out there thinking about making a transition from maybe working at a law firm to going into a consulting role, any words of wisdom for somebody thinking about a career change like that given your experience, you know, playing that role and some of the the kind of highs and lows of being a consultant, any tips and tricks on getting into that area.
1: Over the years I've hired lots of people who have come from conventional office-based roles into more consultative type positions and one of the key factors for what makes that transition successful is if the individual enjoys the busy times you know if you're if you've just gone through a big implementation project for example and you enjoyed the buzz of it you enjoyed the change you enjoyed the you know always having stuff to do then you'll probably enjoy consulting. If you hated that experience and you just wanted everything to go back to normal so you could just have your quiet day and go to lunch when you're meant to go to lunch and leave at the end of the day when you're meant to leave, then consulting might not suit you as well because firms hire in teams like the helm team, for example, when they have a problem that needs to be solved, right? So they're either short on time, short on money, short on experience, and they have something that needs done. And once that something is done, then you go on to the next project or the next task. You don't get that really calm, let's just chill out for a while period in the consulting world. So for those who are kind of bored and frustrated in those calm times, consulting is definitely something that you should look into. And I'm happy to speak more to anybody who has an interest. I have mentored lots of junior consultants in the past. And when I say junior, that doesn't mean chronologically junior. It means people who are new to the consulting space. So if you're interested in making the jump, Helm is growing at an incredible pace. There's such a demand for services. So I'm happy to have a private, confidential one-to-one with anybody who wants to connect with me on LinkedIn under Melinda Lee Ward, or you can look me up through the Helm360 page on LinkedIn. And really happy to have a discussion with you.
0: Thank you very much for that advice. It has been a pleasure talking to you as always, Melinda. Thank you very much for being here. And we're really excited and looking forward to see how Helm360's managed services team and consulting team evolve underneath you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Bim. It's been lots of fun. I look forward to seeing what our future is going to bring.
0: Thank you, as always, for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed our talk with Melinda Ward. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would help us out immensely. See you next time on The Legal Help.